0: Clear
1: prop. 2 following Traffic 3-mile model. This is Behind the Prop with United Flight Systems Owner and Licensed Pilot Bobby Doss and its co-host, Major Airline Captain and Designated Pilot Examiner Wally Mulhern. Now let's go behind the prop. What's up, Wally? Hey Bobby, how are you? I am fantastic as always. This week, we're tackling a number of things that we've discussed on and off lately. It's really about preparing for a bad day, and that's the title of today's show. Uh, I don't think I do it a lot in my real life. I do think I do it a little bit in my aviation life. You're always kind of making sure that you know the worst case, right, from the takeoff briefing to whatever else. You're really kind of always thinking about the bad day, but I think you've seen some things on check rides, and I've talked to some students and there's been a few occurrences lately where uh, we want to share some of these thoughts with everybody about maybe what we should be doing just in case the day's worse than we expected.
0: Yeah, um, you know, I, I use I use a lot of sports analogies, and and I think as a sports fan, let, let's say your your team was the New Orleans Saints, and and your your Saints are going to go play the Packers on December 11th. And uh, they get up to Green Bay, and it's um, you know five degrees and snowing, and and the Saints uh, they don't they don't do very well. And in the postgame comments, they say, um, "Well, we practiced all week indoors in the Superdome under climate controlled conditions. Um, we weren't just ready for the the cold weather, uh, and the wind, and the snow." I think as a fan, you would look at that and you go, "What are you idiots?" Yeah, the forecast was there for sure. Yeah, yeah, you're going to Green Bay in December. You know, be be prepared for a bad day, and and that's what we want to talk about here. Um, you know, we we fly. It's not unusual for us to be flying around in in 45 year old airplanes. A lot of the airplanes that, that we fly around are, you know, 80s '80s airplanes. That's 40-some-odd-year-old 40, 40 airplanes. And they're good. They're very good airplanes, and they work almost all the time. But occasionally they don't work. Um, and one thing I want to bring up is, is I want to talk about electrical failures. Um, and when I say electrical failure, I'm talking about a failure of the electrical system. We've talked a lot about alternator failures. An alternator failure is not an electrical system failure. An alternator failure, an alternator is a component of the electrical system, and it's certainly a failure. But, um, you know, an alternator failure is a failure of the battery charger. It's just like your your phone unable to charge your phone. It still works, you just can't charge it. but what, you know, what I want to talk about is a total, complete failure of the electrical system. Um, everything electrical in the airplane is not working now. How are we going to handle that? And as CFIs, can we, can we prepare our students for that maybe a little bit better? And, and here's a very, very simple thing that we can do, I think, as instructors. How many times have, for for the student pilots or or the the for everybody? How many times have you gone out and taken the headset off and and just talked to the person in the airplane without the headset, without using the intercom system? I don't. I'm I'm coming up on a thousand check rides administered, and I don't recall ever doing a check ride in an airplane that didn't have an intercom system. Um, so we've, we've become accustomed to it. We're used to it, but that intercom system is electric. If we have a total electrical failure, you're going to you lose the intercom system and just taking the headset off and talking to your, the, the person in the airplane with you is a challenge. And it's just something that we've never, we've never dealt with. So maybe... Maybe Derek Carr is fine in playing in five-degree weather, but, you know, you probably ought to practice
1: it. Yep, and I remember one time uh, we were flying along and my instructor told me to reach over and turn off the master switch, and I was freaking out. I didn't, of course, I didn't know the systems well enough, right? turn the master switch off, and he really was first and foremost demonstrating that the engine would keep running, which is a good demonstration. But I also had the experience of being able to talk without the intercom. And we had to remove a cup from our ear and we had to scream at each other for a little bit, but I at least have experienced it once and know what it's going to be like if it ever were to happen. And I think that's what you're suggesting is go experience these things, go practice these things before they happen. It would be much wiser for us to prepare for that bad day than getting to the bad day and then learning how to deal with it. Um, you're only going to yeah. be your best worst at yeah, the worst I, day.
0: I, I've, I've kind of done an informal poll of asking my applicants how many of you have done this, and um, uh, it's it's pretty much zero, zero percent. Everybody just kind of looks at me and goes, well, we've never done that. So, well, maybe you ought to do that. Um, of course, I mean, we don't go out and do it on the check ride. It's not time to mix things up. But, um, you know, just... just How are we going to communicate? Um, And there could be a situation where maybe you'd still have electricity, but maybe your intercom goes out. So how are you going to handle that? You know, you're going to have to turn the speaker on. You're going to have to listen to ATC via the speaker because the the intercom isn't working. So those are some switches and buttons on that intercom that maybe we're not used to using. And um, I think it's very worthwhile. To um, to use that. The other thing is, how in the world are we going to navigate navigate with a total electrical failure? And uh, I'll bring this up on instrument check rides, and um, you know sometimes I'll get get the the answer. Well, the GPS isn't going to work, so we're going to have to navigate using VORs, and then I kind of give a a funny look and then they go, wait a minute, VORs won't work. Well, we'll squawk 7600 and ATC, well, well, wait a minute, the transponder's not going to work. So all this, all, all these lost comm procedures we have in IFR flying, uh, fly the last assigned route and all all that good stuff, it's going to be hard to do if you can't navigate. So the lost comm procedures that we have in the in the in the book, really don't take into consideration lost nav, and and I think probably the most common reason for a total, well, probably the most common reason for lost comm is pilot error. We've flipped a switch or something, but if we eliminate that, probably the next most common reason for a total loss of communication would be a total loss of electrical power and in that case you're going to have lost nav as well so how are we going to navigate well we're going to use the ipad Is i am legal end. yeah no well i you know it's an emergency so you know uh i i you know it's it's uh it's you it's just nice made me sp- fall
1: into the dpe trap you asked the question and i answered it without really thinking uh, my answer was in reference to: Is it legal to fly, file a flight plan and use my iPad? Right. That source right. of a of, right. of a plan.
0: Right. Well, I I I'm happy with all the answers because you know if people say no, it's not legal. Okay, well let's talk about that. Yes, it is legal. Well, let's talk about that. And I'll kind of play devil's advocate with with the applicant, but it it brings up a good d- good discussion point. That might be all you have that might be all you have is the iPad. I need to get to XYZ airport and maybe the, air, the the weather is a thousand overcast and there are towers in the way. So I can't just blindly descend. Uh maybe I I need to um you know fly an arrival or fly an approach using my iPad. Not ideal, but that might be all you have and and I have had a total electrical failure in a single engine airplane and uh, the, within the last several years but luckily the weather was such that the weather was not a factor at all there wasn't a cloud in the sky so that wasn't um, you know that wasn't an issue but I was on an IFR flight plan and from the time we realized that there was a problem to the time that we actually lost everything was probably about 8 seconds. So we really didn't have time to do any kind of reaction.
1: That's crazy. That that's got to be something that you thought that was a bad day.
0: Oh, it was a bad day. Yeah. It was a it, it was a bad day. Would it, it have a, been
1: a badder day if the if the you were in the clouds?
0: It would Meaning have been a worse day. It would have been a much better day. Um, you know, I, I got a nice airplane with nice equipment, um, uh, autopilot, uh, all, all the, all the nice stuff in the airplane, but, um, you know, it's like you can, you can have the barbecue pit all ready to go and, and the stakes there, but if you don't have the ability to light that fire, uh, all that stuff doesn't do you any
1: good. True that. So, you said it on podcasts in the past. Uh, have I have I, or other listeners ever really shot an approach with just their iPad? Really, again, it's doing that is doing that to prepare for this bad day. It's not using it as the way you're going to start flying or change the way you use the equipment in your aircraft for the planes you're renting. But man, if you're a, a user of an EFB and you have a device that gives you the ADSB traffic and all that goodness of a, a tight signal... Man, why wouldn't you use that to practice a couple times just in case, right? Maybe cover yeah. a lot of stuff up with a safety pilot on a really nice VFR day and go out there and use only the reference to that iPad just yeah. so you can see what, what things do. Make sure yeah. you know how to t- change the orientation of north up or not north up. Yeah. And make sure you know you like all that stuff just in case yeah. that ever happens.
0: Absolutely. And and let me just throw this disclaimer out. We we are not advocating go out in an airplane with no equipment in it and, and navigate around the world using an iPad. We we're not saying that all at all. You know, the the, the analogy I use I I, I will say to uh, you know my students or whatever in the briefing room, I says, look if a bad guy comes in this room to do harm to us, I don't I don't have a weapon here, but I have a pen and and I will use that pen as a weapon to defend myself or to defend you i'm gonna fight back i'm gonna go down fighting and that's kind of like um you know the ipad using the ipad to navigate using a
1: pen as a weapon not a writing utensil right so
0: exactly exactly yeah
1: yeah so uh what about what's the next thing we're going to talk about from a standpoint of preparing for a bad day
0: um the other thing is and and I asked this on every single one of my private and my commercial check rides this was the very first aviation related question that my father ever asked me um this would have been in September of 1981 um I took my first official flying lesson on August 31st 1981 and so this was a few, a week or so, a couple of weeks later, I probably had about three hours of flying time in a Piper Tomahawk. And I, I distinctly remember my father um, saying to me, if you're starting the engine while starting it um, and you see flames coming from underneath the cowling, what are you going to do? And the fact that he was asking me this, I knew the answer wasn't abandon the start and get out and run. I knew there was more to it because that was, that's kind of the default answer, uh, you know, get out and run. Um, so I went and got my little handbook for my pa thirty-eight one twelve Piper Tomahawk, and I looked it up. There's a checklist for engine fire during start. And basically what you do is you do pull the mixture back to cut off, but you keep cranking the engine. And different airplanes may have you do different things with the throttle. Some will go full forward on the throttle, fully open. Um, But basically what we want to do is we want to take those flames, we want to suck them in to the engine. Uh, We're eliminating the fuel, so we're eliminating one of the three things we need for a fire, We're not eliminating the spark because we're continuing to crank, so the spark is still going on. We can't eliminate the air, um, but we can eliminate the fuel. So one of the three things that that is required for a fire we've eliminated, and in theory, the fire should go out. Now, my father grew up in the generation of flying big radial engines. Uh, He flew Constellations. He flew DC-3s. And... um, this was this is just pretty common this sort of happened every day and so those guys were, were used to this um but today most people aren't aware that this is the procedure and i i i say check your poh of your airplane to make sure what the exact procedure is but by and large you're gonna you're gonna Bring the mixture to cut off, and you're going to continue cranking. And I say cranking because we're not starting because we've brought the fuel away. We're not trying to start the engine, but we are turning it, and we're trying to suck the flames inside and put the fire
1: out. And obviously, this is in every POH, and you should be able to know these processes, but it's one of those things that— I really do get concerned about, right? We run these planes all day. We we probably have 30% flooded starts because we go out there and we read the normal checklist and we still prime or we still use the fuel pump to prime the, the engine. In a hot engine, that's a, that could be a lot of extra gas. And it won't take much for one of those to uh, backfire or catch on fire. And you surely don't want someone to get out and watch a plane just burn up because they didn't know how to handle the situation.
0: Yeah. Yeah, and and I don't care what your POH says. This you just have to know this. You have to have this memorized. You and and worst case, if you kind of have the idea of the theory behind what your airplane does, and and again, they're all the same. Theoretically, they are all the same. The individual steps may be just a a little bit different, but the theory is get the fuel off and continue to crank the engine.
1: What's the next thing that uh, you've seen on check rides lately that maybe aren't prepared for enough in case the day goes bad?
0: Um, another thing that uh, comes up is, um, and, and I see this on, on multi engine check rides. For the most part, they, a multi engine uh, applicant, this is probably the first complex airplane that they've flown. Um, by and large, um, you know, well, now to get your commercial, you don't need complex time. You can get technically advanced time. Um, so we've, I think we're kind of missing a step, um, back in the day you would, you know, you'd get your instrument typically in a, uh, uh, a non-complex airplane, but then when you went on a commercial, you, you had to get 10 hours of complex time, and the the regulations, the requirements have changed a little bit since then. Um, so, what I I see is is a lack of knowledge about how to manually extend the gear. And this can go back to our very first discussion. A lot of the airplanes, um, if you have an electrical failure, the gear's not coming down. So you know i i will i will say okay you know i'll I'll incorporate this into the electrical failure okay we've had a total electrical failure of the airplane how are we going to get the gear down and uh procedurally different airplanes do things a little bit differently um i do i do some in a in a beachcraft and, and a lot of times they'll say well i go, reach behind me and i crank it down well that's sort of partially right, but it's not completely right because there are a couple of steps before just reaching back there and cranking the gear down. It's very important, like turning the uh, or pulling the circuit breaker for the gear um, um, motor. Now, granted, if we've had an electrical failure, the gear motor is not going to work anyway. So in that scenario, it it doesn't. It's not really gonna matter, but procedurally it's wrong. Um and and I think we need to get into the manual gear extension a little bit more. And and I've I'll take an informal poll and I'll say, Well, have you ever done this? And they'll say, No, but we talked about it. Well, why not? Why not spend an extra ten minutes of a flight in your multi-engine training? Most people are gonna get you know, say ten hours. Let's take ten minutes, ten, fifteen minutes, and do a manual gear extension. When I when I bought into a partnership on a Bonanza years ago, I went and flew with a, a guy here in Houston that's uh, a Bonanza and and a Baron Guru, and we went out and and I, I I paid him for the whole day. We flew all day, and we flew about four and a half hours. We we did some ground. Um, And I was a, you know, a very experienced pilot with a lot of time in a Beechcraft Baron. But we went out and we did everything. We steep turns, stalls, emergency descent. um, And we did a manual gear extension. Um, Flew several approaches, several landings. But we did the manual gear extension. There's something to, um, you know, when it says to pull the gear, motor, circuit breaker, well... Um, you know, what's it labeled? Does it, does the label on the circuit breaker panel say gear motor? Um, or does it say gear actuator? You know, what are you looking for? Be familiar for that, with that. Because especially in an electrical failure, um, you might be, you might want to get the airplane on the ground a little bit sooner. You certainly don't want to rush. You're not going to fall out of the sky, but, um. You know, you've probably lost your fuel gauges, so maybe maybe you've lost track of how much fuel you have. So, you definitely want to get the airplane on the ground, and uh, this probably not ideal for this be to be the first time that you've tried this procedure.
1: When I bought the Travel Air, the twin that we use um, at this flight school, I during the pre-buy, the mechanic, uh, the team at that that shop called me down there when they had everything torn apart so seats out floor flooring pulled up engine cowlings off and they was up on jacks and he showed me the gear working showed me there was no leaks he was kind of both teaching me a little bit about the plane and kind of just demonstrating some stuff and he said uh one thing you want to make sure you never do is demonstrate the emergency gear extension with the circuit breaker in and i want to show you why so in that airplane the handle kind of folds to engage, folds out to engage, folds in to disengage. So in essence, what it's doing is it's taking a gear, a shaft, drive shaft, putting it into the motor itself. And the handle will spin when it's, when it's, when the engine or the motor's spinning, meaning the motor for the gear. And so he pulled that handle out and said, imagine if your hand was in that small little area between that handle and the floorboard, and he would put the gear down and that handle spun at around a hundred, I'm going to say maybe 500 revolutions per minute, and it would just rip your hand right off. It would destroy it. You would have a nub, maybe, maybe some fingers left, but there wouldn't be much left of your hand. And so you can't just reach back there and then someone else accidentally put the gear down to demonstrate something, because you might lose your hand. You've got to pull that circuit breaker. You have to know those procedures, and you've got to follow that checklist, or you'll be nubless.
0: Yeah. Absolutely. And it's, it's so easy to do. It's, you know, you talk about it in the briefing room. Hey, we're going to go out, we're going to do a manual gear extension under a no stress uh, situation today. I mean, we do it with engine failures. We practice engine failures. I would hope we practice engine failures a lot. And, um, so we practice the big stuff, but let's, let's practice the little stuff. I mean, I, I would hope that we practice, you know, the partial panel stuff, uh, whether it's an airplane has a vacuum system, we, we have a, a vacuum system failure simulation. So we do all that. So why don't, we, why don't we add the manual gear extension to that? I think it would be a, a great learning experience.
1: No question. So we have a hodgepodge of other things that we didn't really know what the, the heading would be, but um, we both, we're both older guys now. Uh, today's Wally's birthday, so y'all can give him a little shout out uh, when you listen to the show. But there's this concept or this, I guess, perception that I have that people look at some of these trainers or the art of flying airplanes a lot like driving a car, and they don't have a lot of concern for having a bad day. Like and maybe it's because they've got 200 hours and they've never had a bad day. What are, what are your thoughts on that, Wally?
0: Yeah, I definitely, you know, you're gonna there's gonna be a day. There's gonna be a day. I mean, I'm I don't know how many hours I have, but um you know, 27,000, 28,000. But, you know, how much of that is single engine piston airplanes? i i really don't know probably about four thousand um and i've had one total electrical failure um i've i've never lost an engine in a single engine airplane i have in a twin engine airplane um so you could you can do the odds and say well odds, odds are odds are i'm I'm pretty good but that's that's not the way to do it um you've got to prepare for that I I rented a Tesla for the first time um, several months ago, and, and the guy at the counter of the rental car place said to me, he said, have you ever driven a Tesla? And I said, no. He said, well, you're not driving a car, you're driving a, a computer. Here you go. See you later. That was, that was what I got. And I got in the car, and, and I couldn't make it move and I I felt really stupid. Luckily, there's nobody there watching me. I finally got the car to move, and I, I'm driving it out of the parking lot. I got up to the little booth where you, you hand them the paperwork and everything, they check everything. And uh, they looked at everything, and they said, okay, you're good to go. And then I hit the gas, and I couldn't get the car to go again. And, uh, you know, there's a big long line behind me, and and, and the, the girl at the little booth said, what, you don't know how to make it go? And I said, well, no, obviously I don't. And I said, do you? And she said, well, no, I better call somebody. So there was an example of, uh, you know, I, I didn't get much and, um, uh, I, you know, shame on me for not asking or, or doing a little research on my own. But having said that, other than inconveniencing some people, um, you know, it wasn't that big of a deal. Yeah, some people behind me in line were, were not happy with me, but nobody got hurt. Um, I think what we have to realize in airplanes is uh, it, it, we could get hurt, and we could hurt other people. Um, you know, what goes up must come down. So if we get up there, that airplane is eventually coming down.
1: No question. And I think that's a really good analogy because a lot of what I do see is the system stuff, right? It's, um, and that's what that was for you in the Tesla, right? It wasn't, can you drive or are you a safe driver? That didn't increase your probability of necessarily having a bad day from a driving perspective, but the systems in that vehicle could have caused the bad day and nothing, there could have been nothing wrong it was just a lack of understanding how to use those systems to take advantage of what the car was trying to do, which is drive. Right. Now, you take that same analogy and you put it into an aircraft and someone decides they're going to fly a G1000 aircraft with not a lot of G1000 time. That could be similar to driving your first Tesla or driving yeah. driving a car with a complex gear system that you've never done it. And then having that electrical failure and not knowing that other the other way to get that gear down, which would be the manual extension, and doing it the right way and doing it safely. Um, there's a lot of little things like that that I think I see. The, the easiest one that almost happens on a regular basis is audio panels. Oh, and, yeah. But was not very long ago, someone was on a ride and came inside telling me both radios were dead. Both, both radios were broken. I said, that's not that doesn't happen that way. They don't just both break at the exact same time. So I suspect there's something else wrong. What do you think that might be? And this, this is a person, you see them all the time, that wants to be certified to take and rent these planes alone. What happens if that happens in the air? It was the audio panel, right? It's almost 99.9% of the time the audio panel being configured incorrectly. Go out there, flip one switch one switch and it's all, all the radios are fixed again. And it's a configuration problem. It's a knowing the systems. It's the knowing the switches and buttons in that aircraft. And there's a lot of them in some bigger aircraft. These not so much, but when one gets flipped the wrong way, it can make for a really freaking bad day.
0: Yeah. I I think, I think when something's not working, something basic like that, like the radios, the first place we got to look is in the mirror. Because it's probably operator error, and and for the experienced airline people out there, you know that. I mean, we've all made that embarrassing call to maintenance to tell them that the such and such is not working, and they'll say, "Well, have you checked this?" And you look over there at whatever they just said, and you just go, "Uh, yeah, okay, we're good. Thanks, sorry." <laughs> and uh, you know, there's there's that that moment of embarrassment, but but you get over it really quick quickly. Um, So, you know, just I I use this phrase a lot, do the math. I mean, chances of two radios independently failing in one of these airplanes is extremely, extremely slim.
1: At the exact same time, yes. Yeah, yeah. Maybe not not if the alternator quits working and then ultimately the battery drains, but on the ground, if you're hearing something... It's probably just an audio panel. Um, yeah, I had an experience actually yesterday. I was uh, lucky enough to fly up front in a small jet with a the single pilot operation jet. Um, I'm learning a bunch. I, I've I've been in this jet more than once. I kind of feel good when I'm up there because I kind of know the the avionics in it and been up there enough to feel somewhat good about what's going on. And the pilot says, uh, we were descending into Houston. He goes, you're not thinking about something and you're going to miss it if you don't figure it out. you got about 30 seconds. And I'm, I'm running through every mental flow that I can think of about airspace. And we're on an IFR flight plan. And I'm thinking throttles. I'm thinking light switches. I'm thinking radios, radio numbers, everything that I can possibly think of. And we were we were getting down to about 10,000 feet, Wally, and you probably know exactly what I was going to miss because I don't ever freaking think about it. What do you think yeah. I was going to miss, Wally? I think you're probably above 250 knots. I was 250 knots. So at about at about five seconds before we got to that altitude, he said, put the throttles to idle. So I yanked him to idle, and he goes, you're going too fast. I'm like, golly, I never have to think about that in a Cessna. Much like right. you maybe don't ever have to think about how to make a Tesla go forward. But right. that's something that could really make for a bad day. That, that would maybe be a violation for somebody, not necessarily an equipment problem. But we don't all know what we don't know. And you got to keep challenging yourself to prepare for those things that might sneak up and get you and make a day that was going to be good a bad day. Anything you want to talk about anything else you want to add Wally?
0: No. Um I I think uh I think we talked about some good things and uh we got some more good things coming down the pipe and um just thanks to all the listeners. We are uh I the last I checked I think we're about 200 and what? 225,000
1: downloads, something like that. Pretty close. Um, we appreciate yeah, the support. Yeah. Yeah, I don't think I've ever said it, but we do. If you go to BehindTheProp.com, in the top left-hand side, we do have a merchant thing up there now. No obligation, but if you want a T-shirt, some people have bought a few T-shirts off the website. If you want a T-shirt to support the show, go to BehindTheProp.com, click Merchandise in the top left-hand corner, and grab you a T-shirt. I'll ship it out to you as soon as I see your purchase. Uh, We would appreciate that, and it would help the show a little bit. As always... Prepare for a bad day and stay behind the prop. Thanks for checking out the Behind the Prop podcast. Be sure to click subscribe and check us out online at BehindTheProp.com. Behind the Prop is recorded in Houston, Texas. Creator and host is Bobby Doss. Co-host is Wally Mulhern. The show is for entertainment purposes only and is not meant to replace actual flight instruction. Thanks for listening and remember, fly safe.